Walking Dead, a podcast pulverizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep. And I'm your host, David Cameo, and I am here with Cosmob09, Rachel Burt, Sharon D, aka Blazy Gardner, Survivor's Seer member, Bridget, XProphecy Earl on Twitter, and Ate My First Rodeo on Instagram. And our special guest for today is Sarah Beth Pollock. Hi, everybody. Hi. Chip, 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 chip. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's been a little while since we since we both talked. Uh, that would be episode 189, maybe, I think it is. Or 182? I don't know. They just kind of fly by at this rate. Where we talked about, well, we were supposed to talk about the Walking Dead beyond season 11A. And then we ended up talking about a whole bunch of things with regards to the universe at large. We just waded into these waters and it was the grand plan of Ian and Andrew. And we kind of went into it. And of course, you can watch the episode yourself, everybody else. But that's kind of like why I thought bringing you on today was actually important because you had mentioned to me prior to me even watching this, that this kind of solidifies. Well, what are we here to talk about today? Well, we're here to talk about (laughs) (laughs) the 15th episode of Fear of the Walking Dead 7th season titled Amina. You had mentioned to me that... This episode kind of ties together some of the things that we had talked about. And one of those things was that Ian and Andrew do generally have a master plan as it pertains to the rest of Fear of the Walking Dead. And then when you told me about this episode, I said, okay, I haven't even seen this episode yet, but I have a feeling that I'm going to need you to break this one down because you're really hyped about it. And so, and so I was just like, I don't know if, I don't know if everybody else is going to have your moxie, Sarah Beth. First thing we need to do before we do anything else, is to tell everybody to follow us at ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead. We've been posting our studio links to the general public. Don't buy a coffee. You don't have to uh, join a membership tier. When you follow, you know when we set up our recording sessions that hopefully work. And you know when we drop our unedited episode recordings for the times you can't jump on. So if you feel so inclined, obviously you can tip us for 30 days of access to support or back content, or you can join a membership tier to receive these benefits in perpetuity. First thing we do right off the bat, and we kind of did talk about this in the pre-show before Sarah Beth jumped on, was feelings about this episode. So I think I liked this episode. I don't know, because I say that and now I'm like, did I though? I feel bad. I feel guilty because I've been like... <laughs> pretty spicy the last couple episodes that I've been on and sharing a lot of frustrations um, that I've had with the show. So I feel a little guilty about it. So I don't know what direction this is going to go in today, if I'm going to be able to contain myself or not. But I'm going to try because I don't want to be negative, which is something we just talked about, because as Dave knows, it's one of the reasons I have said that I like wouldn't listen to other TWD podcasts was because their stance on fear was so, so slated towards just like absolutely hating it. And so I don't want to be one of those dicks. So I'm <laughs> trying not to be. <laughs> you said I thought I liked it. Yeah. So it wasn't as if you didn't, but it. Yeah. Like, well, there's during the first, things maybe during the first watch. I was like, oh, OK, cool. But then like when I kind of reevaluate and think it over, I'm like again with this or I don't love that choice or why was it like this? I mean, we'll get into it as we as we go further, but I'm I'm not sure now. I'm like tentative. I'm like hesitant to say that I. But really it's some liked of the specifics or... that 
bugged you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to like it because the, the acting was phenomenal. ADC killed it for sure. The Some of those scenes near the end of the episode are just phenomenal. Coleman was amazing. So there's a lot of good, but there's some stuff that I've been continually frustrated with. And we did it again in this episode. I didn't hate it. In fact, I, I, I might go so far as to say I liked it. But, you know, kind of like what we said in the in the pre-show, we have been expressing many frustrations as of recently. Some of them come out in a very organized way and other times it sort of lashes out of our faces. But it's honest, you know, it's how we feel and we can't change that. So I I did like it, but I don't know. I feel myself sort of comparing it to where we've been in this back half. If I take this same episode and compare it to the beginning of season seven. Yeah, exactly. Perfect example. If I compare it to a different episode, I might not as much. But as far as the back half episodes go, yeah, I did like it. We're finally doing shit. Things are happening. So I'm happy. I'm not going to say that I liked it or didn't like it. This whole back half of the season, I've been really disappointed. And a lot of it is... Alicia and Strand are not my favorite characters. I've never really liked them. I've never really cared what they did or what happened with them. And it's been so Alicia and Strand heavy in the back half at the expense of all of the other characters. Compared to most of the episodes in the second half, it was good. And I mean, I got what they were doing. I got the message they were trying to put across. I got all that. But it was just really underwhelming to me. And I didn't, I really didn't like it, but I haven't really liked any of the episodes in the back half. So including the last one, I'm just curious. Um, Yeah. I mean, the last one was okay. At least something happened and it was fun. There were parts of this. I did like, like I liked a few little things here and there. I liked that we got to see everybody. Finally. I liked the little season four and five callbacks that were littered throughout, you know, I thought you might a couple of noodles in the swatty and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I said, Alicia and Strand just aren't my favorite characters and to have almost the entire season centered around them, just really turned me off on it. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to quickly say that the only impression that I'm going to give you on, on my end before I switch it over to Sarah Beth is I really like this episode a lot, mostly because Alicia and Strand were in it too. But I will say this, what where I'll leave you with is on second watch, which is when I usually feel things a little bit harder, when Alicia's saying it wasn't about doing the, the thing that I couldn't do or that I wouldn't be able to do. It's because I love you. I fucking broke down <laughs> hard, very hard. I'm like audibly like, like what is happening to me? I'm I'm hearing my wife like lesson plan next door because she's speaking loudly and he's speaking loudly and she doesn't have headphones. I'm like, oh my God, is she going to hear me? <laughs> like, so that's <laughs> how much I was kind of like, because it was the thing, you know, like what, what is happening? I didn't expect <laughs> this to happen. It just kind of took over. So that's how I felt about this episode. Essentially, <laughs> the objective viewpoint would be that this episode was definitely very gratuitous in terms of it's kind of like Alicia's Tyrese episode in a sense. But then again, we see Tyrese's episode and it's it is kind of like Tyrese's episode because he's going. Whether Alicia is gone is open to interpretation. Sarah Beth, what I want to do is prime you before you give your impressions on this episode by saying, do you think that most people feel the way that they do about this or these back half episodes because they're a bit fatigued from the anthology style storytelling? I could see where the anthology style storytelling makes it difficult, but in defense of it, if I may, the way they had to film it, 
is why it had to be the way it is. And it's Alicia Heavy because she wasn't there for the first half of filming. So however they had to tweak the scripts to make it work comes out in the story. And that's because of the pandemic and because she was here and then she went home and then everybody thought she was dead because, you know, Alicia was gone or Alicia was in Australia when they were filming. But that was largely because they were trying to give Alicia Debnam Carey time to go home. And so if the pandemic hadn't happened, I don't know that the stories would have turned out the way they did. Oh, okay. But I do. I mean, I understand the the frustration of the, the anthology style storytelling. And I will say that I think, and I've said this for a while, I honestly think that this, this style would play out better on Netflix where you get the whole season all at mm. once and you can watch it from start to finish and then go, oh, now I see why. It's really hard to do it when it's separated week to week. It's a little bit easier if you can stack them and watch like two of them. Like so, you know, AMC Plus kind of helps with that because like if you can wait and be like, okay, I'm going to watch this one and this one. And then you get two of them and you're like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, there's also the trying to fit stories in a 16 episode season as opposed to like Once Upon a Time, which was 24 episodes. So, you know, you're trying to tell a grand, you know, giant story. And you're trying to condense it. I mean, I've all I've said for a long time that Walking Dead should have had 24 episodes. Like it's it's a bummer that we had to condense so much into the amount of time that they had. And I think like looking at World Beyond, I think a lot of people were like, well, why the hell do they have all those weird episodes in the middle of season one that really didn't do anything to move this story forward when they knew they only had 20 episodes to work with? Now, in terms of storytelling, they were great stories that needed to be told in order to understand who these people were. But as viewers and as impatient viewers who want to see what's going on, it's really hard to sit through those. So I'm sympathetic to people who are frustrated with the style, but at the same time, I understand the need to tell those stories also, which is also exacerbated by filming limitations and where people were and what they were doing and who was available last year. The last year? The beginning of 2021. <laughs> I, I know, it's, it all runs together. I think it was at the beginning of 2021. I was talking to Karen David and we were just, we were just chatting. So it was, it was, in fact, it was, it was because we were talking about my mom and like, and we were, we were just having this grand, you know, this grand conversation. And she's like, yeah, it's so hard to keep track because we're filming three episodes at the same time. You couldn't say that at the time because it would give away certain elements of what happened to Grace in certain episodes. But it makes it really interesting when you think about how they, they have to tell these stories based on availability and what other people have going on and who's who's around it's it's really complicated they had to film as much as they could for the availability that they had for that specific actor essentially right yeah that's what it, it kind of boils down to because you have to remember that you know because everybody was thrown you know, their schedules were thrown up in the air they had a lot of people had contractual obligations to other projects i see in the case of alicia debnam carey which is the worst one yeah yeah i mean i i remember March 2020, I was talking to Coleman. We were doing a podcast. We were doing a pod. He was, he was my first podcast guest for the Undead Walking podcast. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm stuck at home. And the only, the really great thing is, is that Alicia's here because she was in LA and she couldn't go home. And right. so she ended up being here for like over a year and never got to go home. And when she did get to go home, she had to do the two week quarantine and do, you know, like there was a lot of complication to her being able to go home which meant she couldn't just come back and forth. And that was still back with season, season six. six. Yeah. There's a lot to it. I know anecdotally that there was a lot going into making it possible to get people 
who could film at the same time. It would be an interesting question for Andrew and Ian to know how they had to change the story. Because we know that they did it with The Walking Dead, because Angela King's talked about that. You know, that they had to change certain aspects of stories to make them work for who was around and, you know, all kinds of things. Once we absorb this information, it kind of helps us. And we've done this every now and again. We've said that, mostly in season six, (laughs) you know, we have to kind of appreciate that they did what they did with whom and what they could at the time because of COVID filming. And we were even remarking on, it was the raft, right? When they were talking about the CGI walkers Mm -hmm. and how they had to basically expand them to show a long line of walkers when they were like only like 14, maybe even in the front. When Bridget was saying, oh, they, you were saying like something to the effect of, oh, they're not even doing COVID filming anymore. I was like, oh, well, no, no, no. They were doing, still doing COVID protocols all the way up to the end. I think, are they still doing COVID protocols? I think. Were yeah, they, they extended t- it. They, the yeah. SAG, uh, SAG extended it. And I think it's going to get extended again, too. So basically, it's good to remember that, yeah, they had to do all this with, with, with all these protocols and with all this availability. So that being said... And hopefully maybe we can look on this episode a little bit more appreciatively. But I mean, I think all of us, to a certain extent, did kind of like this episode, I think, despite our misgivings here and there. But on your end, Sarah Beth, overall, how did you like this episode and why did you like this episode? I really enjoyed the episode. I didn't know that Alicia was leaving and I like that it kind of leaves it up in the air. On the one hand, it felt like a goodbye. Like the whole episode, you could just get this sense of just foreboding and like she could have died at any point. But what I really loved about it was that it does what fear does best. And in my opinion, this is this is one of the reasons that I like it so much is that fear is very much about the emotions and the real gritty stuff. It's not so much about the big battles, you know, about the whispers or, you know, <laughs> fighting the governor. It's not these big, big things. I mean, yeah, they blew up, you know, they had nuclear missiles and stuff, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's neither here, that's that's neither here nor let's, there but like let's keep going <laughs> but and i actually live a mile from a sub base so if the world fell apart i actually could go get nuclear missiles like just to put that out there it's very very easy to get in there especially if you have scuba gear i won't say that i've actually gotten on a raft and gotten close but you know but um don't talk about the, it this is public <laughs> i'll edit out. don't worry about it But the thing that I love is that it really gets into the messiness of this environment. You see that with Alicia and Strand, but it's played out so much. I mean, just when you look at the relationships, you know, and she she finally, you know, she admits that she loves him. And, you know, you look at this guy who's done so many horrible things and you're like, wow, like, you know, she says that and he says it to her. He said it in the previous episode. And you realize that the reason that they're acting the way they are and then there's this push and pull is that they can't ignore that they've all done horrible things at this point. And now they're faced with possibly having to say goodbye. And at the end of the day, how do they react to it? Alicia and and, um, Coleman's performances were just incredible. But you also saw that play out with Daniel, seeing what what the things he's done. And, you know, you you realize how far he's come. And then you look at Charlie, you know, a character who should have, you know, (laughs) people wanted to to roast Charlie when she was um, when she was introduced, you know, certainly after she killed Nick. But then she's become part of the group. You think of Luciana saying like, oh, let her die in the storm out there. We don't care. Season four. And then you realize, you know, here she is. And she's very clearly not going to make it much longer. And, you know, she's telling Alicia, like, we made it to the beach. And in that reference goes back to this episode where Alicia was dealing with being stuck in a place with the person who killed her brother. And at the end of it, she had genuine feelings for someone. There's an element of humanity that I see in this this series and I've always felt that it was there. So I feel like this episode really embodied 
the way that the showrunners have tried to change the way that we see the apocalypse. It's not the macro, it's the micro, you know, even down to the mental health issues. And, you know, and, and certainly all the shows have had those, but you, I mean, you really see issues that you haven't seen in the universe play out here. And it all just kind of came to a head really beautifully, you know, when faced with the uncertainty of knowing if you're going to make it five more minutes, what do you do with that time? And right. that's what we got. Right. And with all these pressures in the environment and knowing how hard it is out there, kind of this is something I actually mentioned in the last episode. When you compare the opener for the last episode and the first episode and you see the stark differences in Will's journey through the nuclear zombie apocalypse and then Victor opening up just his old timey uh, shaving cream and just taking it easy and he's like, oh, I have everything I need right here. And then later on in the episode, you see the choices that Wes makes when you were talking about mental health issues and, and uh, the micro of what people go through. That struck me because we all make choices and his were as a result of A, the environment, but B, having to do what he did with his brother, kill him for whatever the reasons were. And it just ate him up. It wasn't the apocalypse that destroyed Wes. It was himself. Everything that was going on in his head and the choices he had to make and the wrong choices he had to make, just like Victor, essentially. And the thing with Wes is that he's very, Wes is probably more like all of us. Strand is a very unique person. I mean, Strand was doing exactly what he did in season one. He has never shifted from being that person, except for, you know, rare occasions when he was in. And, and he even made that point of like, Morgan, I'm not going to do this anymore. This isn't working because I know how to do it the right way. He only strayed from his path a few times and it didn't work. So he, he's staying true to himself. But Wes doesn't have that on and off switch that Strand has where you can be like, oh, I might I just pushed a guy off the building. I'm going to go shave. <laughs> That's not many people can do that and not have horrible, horrible consequences from it. Let's take this to a different place, more specific place. Well, actually, I kind of want to turn it to Rachel again. Because I, I feel like there were things about this episode that you liked. And I know that part of this has to do with Alicia being your girl. Am I wrong? Am I right? Am I right? Am I wrong? Oh, I love Alicia. Alicia's definitely my girl. Of all the spoiler things that come up, there's an argument to be made that what would this show look like with Alicia off of it? And I haven't seen like the rage reactions or anything like that or, or anything close to that just yet. But how does that make you feel? Or did you feel like she got a good send off or something? Something to that effect. Yeah, I, I did. I agree with Sarah Beth. This episode did definitely feel like a goodbye, and I thought it was a really beautiful goodbye. You kind of compared it to Tyrese, but I was actually thinking more like Carl's episode. It was, you know, beautiful, and she kind of got to tie up some loose ends. And then, like Sharon D said, um, we see these callbacks from all the seasons before, and so we're reminded of of all the amazing things that Alicia has done. And, and she really has, you know, even though she slowed down this season with good reason, I think. To not have her on the show is going to be very, very sad. It's going to be a huge bummer. But I'm not going to rage out because I respect ADC too much. And I'm sure, I am sure that this has been hell on her as a person. We just did a whole video about yep. how we would support all of the <laughs> actors after they leave the show. Absolutely. <laughs> Link in the blog. <laughs> <laughs> a series of uh, well actually well one in a series of videos that Sharon D aka Blazy Garden did and just to give everybody the framing it's the actors asking questions of the fans and one of them was I think it was Garrett <laughs> Dillahunt right it was Garrett yeah uh, just <laughs> do, do y'all do, do y'all support the actors after they left the shows 
uh, asking for a friend. And I immediately <laughs> like, Garrett, that's that's Garrett. And I'm not shying. I'm not backing down from this. Hundred dollars, please. Uh, so. <laughs> He'll give you a Nintendo Switch, but I don't know about the hundred bucks. <laughs> and that's an inside joke from the uh, is it the Jackbox Games charity live stream? He he don't Gerald Dillahunt donated a Nintendo Switch with like Mario Kart included, which Thomas now has. Yeah, which Thomas now owns. Yep. Now that's good to hear. I just wonder if the rest of the fandom is going to feel the same way. This brings me back to something that Ben. And I spoke about on Just Keep Walking. Well, no, not on Just Keep Walking. He came to our podcast and we talked about the possibility of Alicia even leaving the show. And everybody always kind of assumes that she would die. And even I did assume that that's how she would leave the show is a horrible, gruesome death that we would never forget. And we would all hate the show forever. Well, I'd probably still watch. And I think that's the thing. People and I've been looking on Reddit uh, limitedly. But the thing about that is... Why? Why would you do that to yourself? I, I'm Just stupid. Don't. Just I don't know why don't I do, do stupid it. things. Don't read it. Listen, <laughs> the, this, this the is the human fear, condition we're talking about. The, the fear, like, threaded Reddit is ridiculous, always. <laughs> yeah. Somebody had made the argument that, like, now that Alicia's off the show, the, the viewership is going to go down. And actually, there was a fear of that happening. And then I said, no, 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 bro. You don't understand how people work. Just like me going on the Fear of the Walking Dead subreddit every now and again... When something like that happens, you're going to get a spike because people want to see what happens next. Like, how does this landscape look like without one of the first actor that appears on the screen for all of Fear the Walking Dead leaving? And I think that's what people want to see. They want to see the aftermath. It's kind of, it is kind of like, man, Rachel, it is kind of like Carl leaving the show. People want to see what happens as a result of that character passing and moving on. Of course, kind of like Glenn most people fled but they saw that next episode okay at least that next episode also why they brought madison back to keep the viewers that they would lose over alicia well and you know kind of genius a little bit i know i know rachel she's like smiling but she's like whatever madison but do you think she's actually dead i mean do you think she's gone no like do you because there's been rumors from people, and I don't know if you've heard these, and I know this is this is airing after the episode, but yeah, uh, people who were at Talking Dead yesterday, there were some interesting things being said, and <laughs> God bless the showrunners because I think they've they've now learned that you just don't say anything because I'm I'm actually in camp. Madison was always going to come back, so I'm not oh, surprised. Right. 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 But I've always said, I mean, like, what are they really going to do? Say like, oh yeah, guess what? So just sit tight. We're going to bring her back in four seasons. It's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be like, great, that's guys. Not how, that's, that's not how TV works. But Alicia loves the show. So my guess is they're hedging. But it sounds like there's some clarification to what the other showrunner said. That little after the episode clip or whatever. I don't have AMC Plus, but something was said on AMC Plus episode insider that andrew chambles yeah. said right excuse me okay. it's yeah. episode it's episode or insider, insider. okay <laughs> <laughs> so he said one thing you're right and then something is said on on talking dead and then it seems to be contradictory but oh. it's very open-ended i mean it's it's almost like the ultimate trolling job by the writers because it's like no one's gone until they're gone and you notice and they, they never said that once in the episode too like yeah. well <laughs> Chambliss said it was ADC's last episode, but he did not say that Alicia Clark died. So there's that. So P.S. No one's gone till they're gone. Right, guys? 
the thing that really really screws with my head okay well maybe we'll attack it from the end of the episode first because she wakes up ish whatever maybe she never wakes up <laughs> and the first thing that she does well so wait wait, wait. a couple scenes ago grace is like oh the ele- the levels are elevating oh the, they must have reached the, the fence and the bodies are burning kind of like in season five camp cackleberry just bringing you back and then bringing you back forward again to where grace is like oh let's get the fuck out of here and then alicia wakes up she, everything is right as rain she checks the levels and i'm assuming because i don't hear burp, 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 or whatever the geiger counters say and it looks like things are normal. So you're thinking, oh, is she dead? But then. No, because her arm is still messed up. <laughs> you don't know. You don't just know. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> if you were dead, you would hope that you had a normal arm. But no, she still has her freaky skeleton arm. But when she did wake up, did you guys have this interesting feeling? And maybe this is just me. But like, I felt like she time traveled for a hot sec. She woke up and it was like oh are we gonna see rick now or something are we gonna catch up to the walking dead dude i told you all this girl needed was a long ass nap (laughs) to feel better and that's what she finally got she took a nap on the beach and she woke up feeling great i told i've been saying it all damn season let this girl sleep (laughs) well she said that she had to go back to um she was going back to the tower to save all of the people that came there to hear the message but wouldn't that kill her because all of the shit is now released into the air so i think she's already dead and she's going to help all those people that she killed by making them come to the tower she's leading them to heaven and purgatory you know what and that's that links me to the bird because the bird is a psychopomp that was the host bird (laughs) from westworld that they were trying to teach how to fly i think it did a little bit better than that but a psychopomp is a is basically a uh, spirit that guides you to the afterlife essentially or to life it could be either or actually and you're you know you're kind of convincing me that maybe this bird is helping her guide her to the afterlife and if she is also a psychopomp yeah you might be right sharon (laughs) you might be right because how do you explain the readings no forget that lost ass shit i don't want want that (laughs) you mean that spooky beta shit but how is she gonna help anybody if the all the walkers burned and released all the nuclear shit into there she's she's gonna be dead anyway there's no, no way one's gone until they're gone sharon no dead. he said no one's dead until they're dead and she's gone <laughs> she's gone she's gone sarah she's but dead. what, what do you prefer to think <laughs> alicia has always been a, a problematic character for me so i'm not she's not my favorite i don't think that she's gone even though everything kind of looks that way again kind of going back to like how I think the showrunners had this in their pocket for a while. There are so many, so many things about that that set up so many interesting things for season eight that it doesn't really matter if she's alive or dead because she's just not there. She's not with the group. So it doesn't matter if she's alive or dead. It's going to change the fact that she is not with her people. Right. It's going to motivate Victor, essentially, too. Well, I mean, especially knowing that we're going to see Madison in some capacity, and someone's going to have to tell Madison, well, yeah, we left your daughter on the beach. <laughs> and we also have the girl who killed your son. That Bam, you both were the protecting. kids are dead. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, so it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have all this shit to deal with. And you have Victor in tow. So just because Alicia said, I love you and goodbye, doesn't mean everybody else feels the same way. There's a lot of crap on the table. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like if your, you know, rich uncle whispers in your ear as he dies, you know, like, oh, you get everything, but he didn't write it down. 
doesn't matter what he said. It's what happens afterwards that matters. So this is almost the answer to why this episode was sort of gratuitous. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I know gratuitous sounds like it's a bad word, but like gratuitously Alicia and Alicia Strandish, because this is the high point, folks. The next episode is going to, I mean, it has to be undoubtedly crazy. Assuming, I was assuming for a hot second that we would see all our people in the next episode, but from what it looks like, it might just be Morgan Baby Mo. Well, actually Morgan and Morgan centered with a smattering of Madison Clark and not our people. So this is effectively the last episode for all the rest of our gang until season eight, it sounds like. Does that jive with everybody based on what we saw in the trailer, I think? I'll be very upset. And well, prepare yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of been par for the course so far, so why not? Why I'm, not? I'm, I have not been looking forward to Madison coming back at all. There is absolutely nothing that is going to make me excited to see her on screen. Actually, <laughs> and you know what? I have this in the back pocket, but Sarah Beth, on the note of Madison, I never really probed you on whether you actually like Madison Clark or not, or if it's a mixed bag or not, because everybody has an opinion on her and it's not uniform. I've never liked Madison from okay. the very moment I met her in season one. Why she's one of the largest reasons why I didn't like the first three seasons very much at all. I didn't really get into our character until the very, well, not even season three. Season four, I liked Ballpark Madison. She was my favorite. But I understand her purpose and all of the other journalists who hated her in their reviews back when the show was actually airing in seasons one through three and then decided it was more popular to say they hated, they hated the show, but they loved Madison, even though it's in writing and in perpetuity on the internet that they said they hated her. And she should have been killed in season two. But, so you know. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Basically, at the time, they, they slammed her as a yeah. as a character. And then now they're and like, oh, they... I wish she'd come back. Oh, why did they ever get rid of her? Yeah. I, which I is kind of disingenuous. It did the whole uh, I killed my my dad thing was such a weird twist, considering she was so awful in the first, you know, in the first few episodes where she just wanted to <laughs> deny that the apocalypse was happening. I'm like, who the hell are you? <laughs> no one who killed someone would be like, oh, yeah, everything's great right now. Like that. It didn't make any sense. When people talk about the plot armor in these few, last few seasons, I'm like, well, OK, let's talk about that, because that made no sense. <laughs> at Sarah has got the receipts. <laughs> Am I the only one who liked seasons one through three? No, I see. This is what <laughs> I like the most about this dialogue, because I love Sarah Beth's insights, but I completely disagree because I love seasons one through three Madison, but that's okay. I'm, I'm confident in my love for Madison, hmm. but that's, okay. and, and obviously the thing about Madison Clark is everybody has a diverse opinion on her. There's no like dichotomy when it comes to Madison. It's a strata. You liked her in seasons one through three, but you hated her change in four, or you liked all of it, or you hated all of it, or you kind of liked her a little bit, but I understand her, or you, I don't understand her at all, and I hate her. It's this mixed bag, and it's such a fascinating personality experiment. Like, how do I judge a person based on their love or hate of Madison? It's like an Enneagram. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, I'm an INFJ. <laughs> IFHM. I fucking hate Madison. <laughs> MC. Okay, no, I didn't. I actually liked her and I liked that I liked her because she was flawed, but that was everybody in the first season. They're all very flawed. They're all flawed in all seasons. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, like that was your introduction to like those main those main characters as those first couple episodes, and yeah. they were yeah. so over the top flawed. It was like it showcased every little insecurity that each of them had and right so i liked her because of that and actually it's funny because i liked her even more in season four because i could feel that because of those first three seasons it kind of changed her attitude i mean and she kind of explains it in well which will take us back to this episode in the the found footage amina tape why she changed in terms of her character which also goes to sarah beth's comments on the long game because you're like, what is going on with Cream Puff Madison? Why, why, why are you giving everybody all these chances? Why aren't you just taking the hammer down and smacking it on their head like like Troy? Well, get rid of Victor. Get a, get him out of here. But she doesn't. And it it's explained in Althea's tape titled Amina, which we do get to see again here. But Sarah Beth said something very interesting that we didn't get from the episode or insider to me in a DM. And that is, you had said that the the video that's playing in this episode is not the original Amina tape. Am I wrong in saying that? From what I can tell, it's obviously the same tape, but it's not the whole thing. Like she didn't say all of that in the original episode. So either she filmed it back then and they cut it, or this was new, like she filmed this. It wasn't a clip from that episode. It's new. It's like, it's so however it came about, it's not the same speech that she gave. Right, when they were all watching it together, sort of. By the end, it was at the end of 408? It was 408, but Alicia watched it when they were on the MRAP. Then she went in to kill June, and Morgan stopped her. I kind of prefer to think that they did. This is like the uncut version that they kind of made it look like even more found footage of the original. Like, oh, this is how she originally filmed it a couple years ago, and we just let it let it fly. And we put some effects on it, like Dave does in, in the episodes with the video effects, like Bridget in her opener for Better Call Saul episodes. <laughs> put some scan lines in there and some vignette. Hi, I'm Madison. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she would deliver it as upbeat as I do. No, not at all. So. Thank God. Well, I mean, you know, there's the time and place for everything, right? Okay. I feel guilty about my dislike of Madison for what it's worth. Why? It feels weird not to like her because there's a lot of things that are great about her, but she's so hot cold that she changed from season to season for me. You know, like Strand was the same guy the whole way through. You right. always got the same Strand. Alicia changed. I mean, she went from the, the girl giving away the location of the boat. You know, like, oh, yeah, let's just come party with us. Like, we're over here. Like, we've got stuff. Just come over here. Nobody on this podcast will make her forget that, by the way. We've we've mentioned it so many times across the last year. But Madison, like, I just feel like she, like, I get it, but I also don't get it. And I don't think it's like, it's not a Kim Dickens thing either. It has nothing to do with Kim Dickens. It has to do more for me with the the way that that she was. It's almost like I see Dave Erickson going, okay, well, let's let's try this. And then we're going to keep developing her. Like, you can really see her development, but it doesn't always line up. I think I know what you're saying, but I do think it's Kim Dickens. I'm going to say something that I've never said on this podcast before, because I had to actually recently say it to somebody who I actually talked to. I'm going to say his name out loud, but uh, it's Chris the Beat on Reddit. Actually, we chat in the uh, chat function every now and again. And I actually said, I think it is Kim Dickens. I think she's a wonderful human being. You always have to say things like this before you're about to say something not so great. In every role I've seen her in outside of the Madison role, I haven't been plussed. If that's a proper the proper usage of the word. See, like Joni from uh, Deadwood. Okay, and I'm not going to get into her character and Deadwood and all that stuff. Like, I was never enthused about her character. 
I did want to see the briar patch to get some sort of uh, feedback as into her as, as an actor. But when it came to Madison, see, that's where I, I feel differently. I feel like it's as if they kind of molded Madison around Kim Dickens and it just works. Like it's the part she was meant to play. I am HO. I like Madison because she's so almost standoffish and almost an enigma was kind of like the way it seemed like you were putting it, Sarah Beth. You didn't appreciate her acting in Hollow Man as a sleep person getting vandalized by Hollow Man. You didn't think that really shone through? (laughs) I didn't much care for her character in uh, Sons of Anarchy either. Okay, so yeah, I I never watched that series. I hated her in Lost. (laughs) I forgot that she was in Lost. (laughs) But see, that's the thing. When it comes to Madison... This is how you know I'm kind of not full of shit. I can criticize her other performances, but when it comes to Madison, I really do feel like she just nails, she just nails whatever it is. She just kind of nails it. How her acting style lends to the character. It adds to the character, whereas in other performances, it might take away. I feel like, what what, what is she going to do next? What is she going to say next? What part of her backstory is going to jump out and attack me later? And it, it, you won't see it coming. And... There are certain beats that she does have that kind of hits me, and I, I, I'm here for it. I, I don't know what it is, but, it, but that's, that's just my feeling about it. But again, I, I don't like her as an actor for the most part, except for this role. So I'm admitting something to you all <laughs> on the internet, which is forever. I, I love you to death, Kim Dickens, and I just love you as Madison. And I hate that that's... Oh, see, now that sounds really typecast. It's like everybody else on the internet. Bring back Madison. That's all she's good in just bring her back that's not me that's so i just it would be nice and i love you as madison but i didn't need you to come back i like that you're back maybe they are but i do so there you go that's i'm i'm done embarrassing myself everybody the m rap i was a little bit mixed up when we actually did get to see the m rap again but one of the things i did notice was that the last time we got to see the m rap was the last time i think i may be mistaken it was the last time we said goodbye to her character which is Althea in Reclamation, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting that the MRAP is also a psychopomp. It also shuttles Alicia off to wherever she's going to be somewhere else and not on the show, just like Althea. Did you get feelings when you got to, when you saw the MRAP again, though? It's, it was kind of like, whoa, I thought you were done. The MRAP is a character on its own, just kind of like the esteem was on Better Call Saul, right? Like, I mourned. When they, when they destroyed the esteem, I was sad. That was like losing a friend. And I feel the same way about the MRAP. RV version 2.0 on The Walking Dead, season eight, episode one, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, where the gang charge in and the RV has this armor plating in the front and just bust through the, yeah. Coincidentally, season eight, episode one, the first episode we covered on The Walking Dead, uh, in the podcast, sorry, on the podcast period. So Rip RV was one of our notes. I'm still trying to convince myself it was actually there and not just part of Alicia's dream. Good. Yeah. Because I was thinking the same thing. Down to the people even shuttling Alicia off. I'm thinking to myself, who does that? First of all, who would who would even bother? Let this bitch die because I'm not going back and forth for her again. Right? Because they already brought her to the beach. Then she went off. And they're, they're gonna, what, are they going to go back and bring her to? It doesn't make sense to me. They did. They did it three times. Yeah. 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 My exact words were, what is up with this Groundhog Day shit? (laughs) We were watching it because I was like, what is this? Why are we replaying this over and over again? The same scene in a slightly different way, but they're all like 
over her as they're like gurneying her along. See, I don't regard this as a complaint well, in my brain. Was it real or was it not? See, that's, that's what I. That's what I like about it. Are these people the same people, or are they real? Or are they just avatars that represent people who love Alicia? What Rachel just said, like that, that reminds me a hundred percent of why the show works, like the anthology and the, the the way it's written, and why it should be released at once. It's those artistic moments, like the repetition, the the, the not knowing what's actually happening still not knowing what's happening at the end of the episode. Very artistic, very stylish, intentional things that you don't normally see in this universe that are part and parcel. I mean, you watch an episode of Once Upon a Time and like that's what they did all day, every day. I don't know. I would liken it to like, I, I've never done any kind of drug in my life. Um, <laughs> but if I were to do like cocaine, this is how I would imagine my life would be. As someone who has done a lot. Uh, no, I'm just going to no, Just no. This episode is not like that at all. <laughs> well, I, I can't even handle a lot of, of caffeine. It literally is the embodiment of a fever dream. The episode is a fever dream. It's a literal fever dream. Yeah. And Does I think... it fit in the in the greater scheme of things? Not, you know, it's, it's so hard because, again, you only have so much time to tell stories. And so that's where I get frustrated. It's like, OK, let's kind of keep going a little bit. Let's go a little faster. It's a it's a really cool feature. And I'm all for artistic license in a certain way right what happened and what's going on the Tyrese episode is one of my all-time favorite episodes of The Walking Dead now that was done flawlessly it wasn't in a block of episodes that had that repeat we had fever dreams in follow me it's just like too much in in such a short period of time it's like had it been seven one and then again on this back half fine but it was like it was too close together. It was too much of the same thing for me. That was that was my beef with it. So you're saying they should have saved the fever dreams for the end, basically. No, I think like it's fine if you're going to take that artistic license and you're going to do this thing that could be really beautiful and and very stylistic. But then don't do it one right after the other or don't do it so close it takes the impact away now it's no longer artistic and stylized and beautiful now it's this thing that we already did why are you doing this again oh i see what you're saying but usually it's usually like a one-off why is it being done again okay so here's the thing the problem with the anthology style uh, the anthology style of storytelling that this season has brought or in last season too that it had, had brought us is that it lacks a or it doesn't push the arc along and so there have to be some themes that carry over, and this is probably one of those themes, along with Victor Strand doing Strandish things. There have to be some themes that carry over. Does it have to be this this thing? No, probably doesn't have to be one of these things. But like I, that, I appreciate it because at least that that has a sense of consistency that goes through episode and well, every episode that Alicia seems to be in, and it gets worse. I get really, really frustrated when I don't know what's real. Again, I get the style, yeah, like. Life is complicated enough. I don't need my shows to twist up my head enough. Like, I come to watch television as an escape. I don't need to get headaches trying to figure out what's going on. Don't get me wrong. I like what was happening because I think it is important to the story and what Alicia is going through and to put us in that same state of mind. I just wish at some point there was a way to clarify what's real and what's not. Yeah, this isn't Westworld. (laughs) See, that's a, this is where we part ways because I really, really like when they mess with our heads. I really like it because I like I like it when some things could be open to interpretation. But that's well, I mean, just the me. ending. The ending is very open to interpretation. I think the whole thing is almost open to interpretation. 
because you're really not sure what's real. Okay, now we're getting mm. into dangerous territory where I'm mm-hmm. gonna not be irritated, but like straight up pissed. If this whole thing were actually a dream and we wasted, I wasted all of those watches and rewatches on something that didn't actually happen. Yeah, you will see me go through the roof. Well, it did happen, but they want to show you an expression of emotion, like a journey of emotion rather than actuality. It actually happened, but what they're choosing to show you is the emotional journey rather than the physical journey. Uh, And this is just one interpretation is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that's what actually happened, folks, because then it's suffering, right? You're watching this person suffer like torture porn throughout an entire episode. But why? This is something I said in the last episode. This is why I love this episode so. Okay, Rachel, I just summed up why I love this episode so much. It's because I'm right about something. Mute. (laughs) (laughs) I said in the last episode, because I'm editing it now, that it's not just about Victor loving Alicia. Remember we said... Had Victor's plan worked out in some bizarre way and Alicia was stuck with him forever and ever in the tower, of course she would comply or not comply as much as she would have her little moments and like, but at the end of the day, she loves him. She loves him. We knew, we figured that out, but it gets, but what this episode does is take that, what we, I, or what I, or we already knew and takes it further. I'm going to throw something out there and then you let me know what you guys think. I think the reason why Alicia was sick in the first place, and we find out that she's sick in the first place from Padre, when does she get really sick? She gets really sick when she finds out that Strand did something, whatever it was. And we have our different interpretations of like, oh, Morgan got double kick stomped and this happened and that happened. And oh, because of Strand, whatever it is, she heard that Strand did something Strandish. And that's when she really started getting sick. And then she started having fever dreams. But I contend that she had, it's kind of like Daniel. She had these fever dreams. She had this condition from hearing about Strand and thinking to herself, I'm going to have to kill that motherfucker. And I don't want to. And she's having this like, this sickness inside of her. Like her body's immune system is trying to ward off the, the, the sickness that is having to kill somebody that you love. How do you square that circle? And it has a physical manifestation. So the fever really isn't a fever. This is her trying to square the circle of how do you kill somebody that you love? How do you fight that better part of yourself that it doesn't matter what you do. I love you anyway. I will always love you. But I think I might have to kill you. (laughs) But but how do you live with that? Alicia clearly can't. Whatever it is, Alicia clearly can't. And so it kills her inside. And she's trying to kill that part of her that fights for somebody no matter what. That doesn't give up on somebody who's who's like completely lost and she's trying to kill that part of her. And that's why she's so sick. I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch some of the earlier episodes. I can't remember Alicia being completely healthy this season. (laughs) I can't think back to a time where she didn't have a fever. No, but it, it kind of matches what we said about Daniel and Sarah. This is what we kind of said about Daniel was that Daniel had issues with his memory before even handle with care in season six. I think his whole mental state was wrought the moment he had to lie to Charlie in Welcome to the Club. And it's just downhill from there. He just hated having to do that after doing that so long with Ophelia. Which would then kind of support the idea that this is, again, dealing with those messy side effects of what this life does. I mean, what you have to be capable of doing. You know, I, I could imagine people who have gone to, you know, it's like the PTSD from some horrible experience manifesting itself which happens in real life too 
I mean, right, right. for some people. And every single one of these people had to do horrible, horrible things, too. I mean, everybody's killed multiple people at this point. Which kind of is a good foil for Wes. I mean, I, I know I bring it back to him every now and again, but when you compare Daniel and Alicia and then Wes, it's this weird variance in what you're talking about. Wes, to guard his emotional state, had to throw it against the, uh, his friends, essentially, say... I killed my brother because of you, because if the, if I think for a second that it wasn't you, well, then I have to blame myself. So why don't I just lean into this life? Because leaning into this life makes me survive because my mind or my emotional state is too fragile to have to deal with the nuances of having to kill my brother. And Arno did that. Arno planted that seed. And then you go back to Charlie and, and, and Daniel that that planted that seed. And then Alicia hearing that Strand did something to ruin to, to make the nukes go off or whatever it is, regardless of the, the logistics and the nuances of that moment, that's all Alicia heard. Alicia heard, oh, Victor did something and it ruined the world. <laughs> that's what her interpretation of the facts were. That broke her. That made her sick. I like that. Uh, Rachel doesn't like that. Eh, I mean, I don't like it, but I don't have anything to counter it with. So I'm not running around. <laughs> fever dreaming out all the damn time <laughs> well we don't really know you Bridget maybe you don't remember everything but that's that's the thing about television that I like the most is that you can on the screen project what people are feeling on the inside in a way that is visual in a way that is a choice rather than like because if you were seeing that on the outside you, you'd basically see this you'd see nothing because sometimes you don't know what's going on behind people's eyes the show has to show you in some sort of manner what is going on with people that kind of explains a little bit what, why this episode looked the way it did, why it had to do what it had to do with the repetitiveness, the feeling of I'm with Alicia on this journey and I feel tired. <laughs> I'm looking at her and, and it keeps going and it keeps going. And they really, really, for me, at least, it really brought me in to her condition. Like, why do I feel so tired? And you know what? Now that I'm even thinking about it even more, I felt tired going into this episode. I felt personally exhausted. If that was their intention, they fucking nailed it. Succeeded. <laughs> but I'm talking about me now. Speaking seriously, we had just recorded last Saturday and I get a little stage fright. I I would just I have a little conversation with my wife before I go on. I say, honey, can you make me feel better? I'm feeling a little anxiety. And I treat me just, like a king. <laughs> no, no, just more like, can I have a hug? Oh, see, now you feel bad, right? Because Dave needs hugs. Am I the puppy here? <laughs> Sorry, now we're telling Jenna jokes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we just done a recording last Saturday. Now we're here on Tuesday and I get a little anxious. I get I get like stage fright and I'm like, I, I, I feel, but I feel tired too. And I told my wife, I said, if I sit on this couch, I might actually pass out and I'm going to miss the time because I feel overwhelmed by all the stuff that we have to do before camp uh, to get these episodes out and all that stuff. And it's not because I'm tired, tired at all. It's because I'm overwhelmed. Do you want to know the cure? I have the cure oh. to this. Oh. Is it more cowbell? No. You take that anxiety and you ball it up and you shove it deep down into your ulcer. That's, <laughs> that's how you make it through. <laughs> From experience. <laughs> no, a, a very nobly Irish of you, or whatever you are. Oh, my name is Bridget, and it's I have red there. hair and green eyes. What do you think, dude? 
and and you've got that little bit of Jewish guilt from somewhere in your lineage. <laughs> There's no telling. Adoption, we think, but yeah, it's there. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> But all, all of this to say that, yeah, yeah. So I get it. I get it on a personal level what, like, when I see her feeling and looking this way and then thinking that this, all of this may be psychosomatic. And of course, it's TV. It has to be played up. You know, it has to be made for television. It sucks me in. And I, I, I get really invested in even the repetitive nature of her people having to drag her back and forth from where she is and not giving up on her <laughs> when they should have. And there's also that challenge too. Like, I don't know if, it, I don't know if anybody's actually figured this out, but it's only been a few days. The passage of time has been so slow. It feels like it's because we see, you know, it's been eight weeks, but for the characters, it's only a couple of days. You know, in some cases, each episode is like just a matter of days in between. But it almost feels like, David, I think you kind of, you gave me this idea, so I credit you for this. Wouldn't you kind of say that it's like her fever broke, like after being sick for so long when she wakes up on the beach, the metaphorical fever is now broke, like she feels better, she feels healthy, the world looks brighter, somehow, you know, like she's been sick this whole time, so she knows that everybody's safe, she no longer has to worry about these things, whatever happens is going to happen, the little girl seems to be okay too. We don't know what that means, like, you know, why her arm is, is healed. And we, we, don't, we don't know any of these things. But it's like the metaphorical fever has now broke. Yeah, has been lifted off this show. <laughs> in a sense. But kind of like what you're saying, <laughs> don't take your head at me. Uh, it, but it's kind of like what, what, what you were saying, though. I kind of want to take it further because in season six and season seven, maybe partially due to the anthology style storytelling, but we've been like jumping through time weeks upon weeks in some cases and this is something we've actually said in almost every single episode we've broken down is that we just time keeps jumping oh strand went crazy this is how strand how crazy strand went this week oh what are you doing now you're you're holding baby mo and twisting her around in your arms it's like what that's not how you treat a baby then like you said it almost seems as though time is coalescing and time is now working Alicia is kind of like a little manifestation of these time jumpy, exhausting, fast forwarding ma- journeys into madness. And then when her fever breaks, it's as if time now is moving at a, a normal pace. Now we don't have to jump weeks upon weeks per episode or a, a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there. It feels like now we've resumed. Maybe we don't need the anthology episodes anymore. But like you said, though, they're they're continuing with COVID protocols. So now I'm just that that. I'll say that frustrates me a little bit, though. I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to more ensemble episodes. I want all of my people back together. I'm tired of everybody being split up. Yeah, even even I'm kind of like, well, again, if you could do it in a way that where we see everybody, I know it's hard. Actually, I should say, I mean, it's not even seeing everybody together. It's having everybody in an episode. You can have maybe three or four different stories going in an episode that has three characters in each story and that way you get everybody on well, screen uh, there's Everybody's a ton there. of other shows that have been filming during covid and they've all been able to pull it off successfully in terms of the kid though i do want to make a couple of mentions though i i like the imagery of the hammer which kind of evokes the madison's hammer thing for better or for worse killing troy slash madison's hammer trying to build a home for charlie has kind of like a dual meaning in the universe at least but i like that that was a weapon of choice immediately made me think of that and 
Nick used the hammer in season four too. Just ties them all together though. You know, speaking of Nick, I actually almost thought for a hot second, because we know that Madison is alive, of course Alicia doesn't know. And maybe they filmed this with the intention that maybe Madison wasn't coming back, but you could easily make the assumption that the bird is Amina, the bird flying around in this episode, is Madison. But then I thought maybe if they know if Madison is coming back and Nick is actually dead. No, no, it's like Beth. He's really he's really alive. No, he's dead. You could see the bird as maybe being Nick. I'm not saying you can't have, but, you know, you first of all, you can't have the spirit of who you were, or who you are, not giving up on people being the thing that drives you. Well, here's somebody that's actually dead whose spooky beta shit is trying to guide you around. The bird is Nick and he's just, but then it became abundantly clear that the bird, the bird really is Madison in a sense. And maybe they did intend it to be Madison until she came back. I think I just but, thought uh, it was Amina. The bird was, it was oh, the Amina. Bird. Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, okay. Let me start by saying, I don't think the bird was actually there. I think Alicia was seeing the damn thing. So I think she was seeing. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Actually, yeah. I have a hunch that maybe you're right. Yeah. I, took it literal that it that she was seeing Amina. And even though she wasn't understanding why, it's because she never gave up on Amina and the bird ended up living. And that was what she had to do with Strand. And the bird basically guided her to Strand. Like, you saved me, now go save him. So I never even considered that it was Nick or Madison. It was always Amina for me. You know, maybe we can get to the meat of what this was all about to begin with. Because this is something we could argue on. But what do you think of Alicia's ultimate decision to save Strand? It's kind of like an ethical dilemma. Why would you save somebody, objectively speaking, that has done so much horrible stuff? Why? Because no one's gone until they're gone. This entire half season was Alicia trying to figure out that she wanted to be like her mom. She wants to do what Madison wanted to do. So that's basically it took her this whole season to mm. figure that out. Well, do you guys feel the same way, actually? We talked about this because we did. It, we watched it together on Sunday. I've rewatched it since then. But is this a hive mind? Is this... my yeah? Um, in is my that, okay. Yeah, in my initial thoughts of it, I was like, oh, I just lost my train of thought because you said hive mind. Oh. <laughs> I, lost it. I I broke her out of the hive mind, folks. The board Damn didn't it. got nothing on Damn me. Damn it! Yes, uh, I, I win. Resistance isn't futile. I was so sad that it had taken like a whole season. For her to just figure out who she was again. This tough as nails chick who who never gives up on anybody or anything. That's who she was. And so it's so sad to me that it took this long for her to get back there. And then she's gone. But I think that's that's why it was so rough on her. Because she is tough as nails. And if she had to figure out that she had to kill her, the, somebody that she loved, then that breaks her. Because that is who she is also. Is somebody who's tough. Like... A, Rachel says all the time, she's a badass. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean to have to be a badass against somebody you love? That freaking would destroy me, I think. Like, oh, do I badass this guy? Do I, do I eat him off a roof? Uh, even in season four, Strand asked, why did Madison save him after all the stuff he did? So, I mean, Alicia's just doing, like I said, Alicia's just doing what her mother, finishing her, what her mother It's started. yet another legacy thing. I want oh, my mother's shit. legacy to live on. Because she says in the episode, I, like I don't that. want it to not mean anything, what she was working towards. She <sighs> wanted her mom's legacy to carry on because she wasn't around anymore. I'm not mad with her saving Strand. I, I get people could see it and be like, why the fuck this guy? But, well, one, I really love Coleman. <laughs> he's, a, he's a phenomenal actor. <laughs> At the side, I, I, yeah. His character is amazing. <laughs> yeah, but, he's amazing. But on top of that, 
I think of how much time they've all been together. Alicia, Nick, when he was still alive, Madison, Strand, Daniel. They were together for so long. And in in an apocalypse, this is like unheard of that you would be together this long. They are family now. And relationships accelerate. And yeah, yeah, that's something we're talking about a lot. So to me, it makes sense. The fact that they even fought in the first place was so ridiculous to me. And I remember being like, why is it like, one, it's over a tower, but it's not really over a tower because it's like you two bickering for some reason, but nobody really knows. It's like when you go to a family reunion and there's like two people that won't talk to each other, but you like, you can't get out of anybody. Like, why? You're like, but why don't they talk to each other? Because even they don't remember. Well, just, they just don't. It's just been so long. Yeah. Yeah. One time, (laughs) my (laughs) uncle elbowed me the wrong way at my cousin's bar mitzvah As and i never right forgot about someone. it the people's Just, it's elbow. something so stupid right way yeah right though right though right the people's yeah. elbow see you're doing something dramatic for tv right <laughs> anyway but the whole point is it's innocuous and dumb and then yeah. by the time years down the line you're like oh is that why we're fighting oh i think alicia explained it for all of us it's not about strand it's about her we don't need to ask why she saved Strand, why this guy. It wasn't about him. Agreed. It was about her doing the right thing. It just happened to be Strand that needed her. But more to the point, doing the right thing for the person ultimately that you love. This is a very interesting thing that I think would have, re- would have resonated with you more than anybody, Rachel, because you know when you love somebody, I'm saying you, Rachel, mm-hmm. when you love somebody, you move heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really like that about you. And so mm-hmm. that... When I actually saw that that was the case, something that we had said in Leah in the last episode, and we saw that in an, in an expression that Alicia kind of exhibits, I immediately thought of you. I'm like, that's Rachel, 100% Rachel, which is why you identify as, with her so much. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as June told Alicia, well, as far as we know, he's still in there, I, I knew that's where she was going. There was no yeah. question in my mind. There was no just leaving him. You're just no. going to leave mm-hmm. him in a burning tower? There's no way. Isn't it funny that Strand saved Alicia from fire once, and now yes. Alicia's saving yes. Strand from fire? 408. Yes. Ba-dum. I wrote that down. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. it's And it's the reason why Strand has his scar, his burn scar. Okay, you want to take that even further. He, for the longest time, had that pebble in his pocket after the dam to remind him of who he really is. Whoever that is, I have no idea at this rate. <laughs> who Wasn't he says it to he really remind is. him of who he wanted to be? Well, that's how, how what he said afterwards, uh, like after his conversation with Madison about why did you save me? So the pebble went from being this is what happens when you become when you do your strandy things to this is who I could be. And then he burns his hand and he realizes he doesn't even need the pebble anymore. I've got this permanently. So no, but I love that you brought that up. And I love, I love Bridget's answer too. For all the talk about legacies, it flipped the whole season on its head. Strand force feeding this legacy, trying to squeeze in this legacy through a narrow pinhole of like what he feels he has to do to build a legacy, burn all the bridges, eliminate love, do all this, be not a person, be not a human in the world. To build this legacy. That's what it takes, folks. To build a legacy, you have to not be a human being. And it turns out to you have to kind of be a superhuman being. But you have to literally love. Because it's not about the place. Madison says this in 408. It's not about the place. It's about the people. Bridget, you're MVP automatically. Legacies. Go figure. Wait, so Sarah Beth, I, I, this is probably a foregone conclusion, but... In terms of Alicia's decision to save Strand, do you think it was the wisest one or do you think that it just made sense? 
I, I think it made sense and I totally agree with the idea of the, the legacies. And I also think that she on a very base level also knows that you need to have a strand in your life to survive this world. You have to have somebody who can make those choices because he was always the one who would do that. He would take up the mantle of like, I'll, I'll make this hard choice so you don't have to, which was kind of what he was doing with the tower in a misguided way. Because if, if you think about where Alicia ended up at the end of the episode or at the end of the season, it's a complete 180 from where Morgan was at the beginning of the season and became, you know, kind of overcame this, the person that he, or not the beginning of the season. of The last beginning season. of season six, right? Yeah, where he, yeah. you know, everything we knew about him just went out the window and he kind of had a reckoning. Every single character has had a reckoning now. So now wherever they go, I think this is going to be the truest form of every single one of the characters because of where they've, the journey they've been on. Which kind of makes season six and season seven feel like it was one season. If you really think about it. Yes. I mean, yes, the two seasons are kind of like a, a mirror of one another where it seems like other characters have kind of gone through the looking glass and, and they're repeating things that were done in the last season, sort of. But it, when you say it like that, it just feels like this, this season six and season seven were like spiritual successors. They kind of go in one blob, uh, essentially. It feels like they do, at least. You really almost can't have one without the other. But maybe it goes to your point about like, well, if, if seasons four through seven just dropped all at once, it would kind of make sense. This has kind of been like a huge, huge arc of a journey. Uh, but more to the point, season six and season seven, they really do well, go well together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say why it couldn't have been a fever dream because uh, does Alicia know uh, Josiah at all? Has she met him before? I don't think she met Emil ever before, too. Right. <laughs> so it's because of those anthology episodes, folks. No, I don't think Alicia has met Josie. So it is a little frustrating <laughs> that they had to pick her up <laughs> like three different times. Josie. Yeah. Did I say Josie? No, I did. No, you don't know how happy I was to hear yeah. Sarah say my my nick my Josie nickname. <laughs> <laughs> she said it, and I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> Sarah yeah. had the best line of the episode. No, I'm not going to be the only <laughs> asshole to say no. I mean, she should have been though, right? <laughs> if you think Come on, Josie. Think about how this went. Some crispy beef. Okay, there was one thing. One thing. I know it's not just one thing. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> you okay. fucking liar. <laughs> Such a liar. <laughs> Throughout this episode, they were showing Walker faces, obviously signaling to the, the viewer, oh, I don't want to die, or I am going to die, or is that how I'm going to end up? Anyway, but one of the Walkers that we saw, it got me stupid excited, because they're flashing back to Walkers of pa of seasons past. I know exactly well, what you're going to say. You know exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> I do. The, the bowel blockade Walker. And I was like, what does that mean? Are we going to see the kid? Like, my stupid brain. I thought the same fucking thing. I thought the same thing. She did. She did. She said it. She said it's it when so we were watching unfair. it. It's so unfair. It's so unfair because, uh, you know what? The thing is, I had given up. I had given up on the kids. And then the last episode, and you're like thinking, oh, what? If, you're thinking dumb things now. Like, you're, oh, what if we see the kids? And they're all, oh, Wes sees the burnt up kids. And they're like, he's like, oh, that's what I look like on the inside. And, Whatever we said this in the last episode. Just, 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 just. Anyway, so when I saw the bell blockade Walker, I immediately brought me back, and I'm like, it's like the Heath thing. Oh, oh, Heath, where is he? No. So I got the false hope, and I was like, oh, what's happening to them? And for all we know, they've been there the whole time. They just don't want to show them on screen. Can we all just pretend? 
for a little while. I wish I could, but I mean, we're not going to see the kids again unless there's like a massive time jump. Dylan has definitely put on some inches. Well, there have been some <laughs> time jumps, but yeah, to your point. Those kids look <laughs> old now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the time does move faster in the apocalypse. It does, and they're dealing faster, with radiation. So. so maybe Dylan just had like a massive growth spurt. True, true. and his on his thyroid or his, it was or beta his, rays. His, his pituitary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the walkers they flashed on was one that Morgan killed in four hundred one. The one that yes. looks like yeah. <laughs> when he turned back, right? He was following the walker while he was stumbling. I noted that too, but and so that bothered me too because you're th- you're thinking to yourself, how does Alicia know that? Why? How does Alicia know about the the Morgan? They were like, the we just want to showcase our our best walkers, so we're just gonna pick the best ones for this. <laughs> they were putting Isn't a that... test in for Sharon Day. They're like, we're gonna catch our Eagle Eye fans. <laughs> <laughs> what is a better way to say uh, this is the end of an era? You're one of the main actors of the show for the last since the beginning is leaving the show. And so in a way you're showing without showing flashbacks of her as a young adult going through this apocalypse. So you're not going to do that. No, we need to focus on her in the moment, the painful, slow, fevery, expression-y dream that is her. Okay. So we'll show walkers from the past. This is the end of an era. This is a big thing. Because I had to think about like, okay, why are you showing me these things? I don't like it because the kids aren't coming back. And that was something Morgan saw and then and all these things. I was like, okay, that's what they're trying to do here. This is grandiose. I can just see you getting so pissed. I was like, like mm. you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> like, no, but because the first watch, you're like, what? What? What is that? Why? Why? And, and then like the second watch, you're like, mm, I don't like being shown this again. Get my hopes up. <laughs> Jerks. Maybe the kids will be along the coastline. They'll just, they'll be floating along and they'll be like, it's the kids. <laughs> and maybe, they, the kids made it, maybe the kids made it to Padre before anybody else did. Yeah. Hey, I like that. <laughs> the kids are the heads. They're pulling oh! the bags off. <laughs> that, had, that deserved the prices Ouch. wrong. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Well, listen, we can joke about it because it's better to laugh than cry. I knew that I knew we weren't going to see the kids, but in in my belly, I'm like, maybe. Yeah, you can't maybe. help it. <laughs> it's like, guys. You're okay, right? He's okay. He's the, okay. The kid, Rachel, the kids, the kids are alive with Beth and Nacho. Oh, you horrible, horrible oh. human. Maybe Howard, too. I don't and know. Howie. They're all hiding in Gus's basement. They're all buried under the lab with Lalo. Oh. Fring is what you mean, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. With yeah. Lalo. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. The, the foundations upon which this Ooh. lab was built on, which is why it's so great and awesome. I'd be very interested in the Easter eggs that you guys caught, because I know there was the cup of ramen and the Amina tape, but was there anything else that I missed? We had posed that the shopping cart walker was possibly the same one Grace walked past in the second episode. That's right. Mm-hmm. I was I was thinking that too. I think that that walker was in more than just that one too. That one episode, that uh, 602. Well, it was in the hours. episode a couple of times because she walked past it twice, I thought. Right. No, I meant in more than one episode too. Oh, oh, maybe. Maybe. But that maybe. Epi- it's sticking out more so in that episode anyway. Because she was shopping too, <laughs> too <laughs> technically. So. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> 
So then, wait, so then what does that mean? Is it just more of like a, uh, a reprise or like to show the passage of time? Because obviously it's raining ash, uh, I think, is what it's trying to evoke also. Like mm-hmm. you're seeing this walker well, from a different... Maybe it's giving us like a fixed point too, because everything has been so abstract in terms of like where everything is. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is meant to be like, this is a fixed point in space. And you know what? Okay, let's take that a little further. That walker, that chopping cart walker is nowhere near where alicia's trying to walk if i'm well that might not be true because if there's if the sub is near galveston the beach in galveston so maybe okay and the tower seems to be near galveston based on our maps then it could be there they were in galveston and strand was riding a horse it's not like he could have gotten super super far Mm -hmm. away from from where the submarine was they're all within a certain range because the only ones that had vehicles were sarah and everybody that was with her and then yeah. Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Rachel <laughs> didn't do her lot good. But I mean, they, they were all on, on foot and on horseback. It's not like any of them could have gotten really far. But what I prefer to think, because obviously you're seeing these things, these images and, and places and themes, like, okay, like the shopping cart walker, the walkers that have been flashing throughout the episode of seasons past, of this season, etc. We've gone through a journey. And I like... That we, okay, we're reprising this walker, uh, throwing a little ash on him to, to show the passage of time. But like, oh, we were here. This is what we had to go through. And here it is again. And so it, it is also like on, on one hand, the end of an era, but it's, it may be the close of just a tremendous amount of suffering. And we're getting the flock out of here, mm-hmm. essentially, which I am okay with. I am okay with a change of setting right now. Because like I said, it feels like between Ginny and the Rangers and that whole season six and all the losses that we've gone through. Well, the one major one, <laughs> obviously. And then the nuclear holocaust and losing a couple more. I feel exhausted. Can I get a vacation from Fear the Walking Dead, in a sense? And I'm going to add something here because we've experienced both of these seasons for the most part through a pandemic. So you couldn't be faulted for... Feeling exhausted, not just because of the narrative, essentially. Now, again, I'm going to remind everybody, I liked both fucking seasons through and through. Okay. A little bit questioning of the back half of the season. Sure. I Even I had my concerns. I like how it wrapped up, uh, how it's wrapping up, essentially. It's not wrapped up yet, man. Yeah. Give it yeah, another episode. Doesn't this feel like it could have... See, and we've said this about season nine. Didn't it feel like it could just end there? Yeah, this yes. could have ended. Yeah, this could have been out of it. I feel like after the next episode, I'm going to wish it ended right here. (laughs) (laughs) You and and your biases. As long as there's not a fucking other nuclear bomb, I'm fine. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. Bombs. By the end of the episode, we may wish there was another one. Don't worry. Rachel will be in the next episode breakdown. So there's our nuclear bomb. I love you. You'll see me melt down. <laughs> You'll hulk out, but it, instead of green, it's pink. <laughs> but to your points, I'm exhausted. Pandemic exhausted me. We did so many things. We've gone through such a journey. These people had to go through so much to bring this narrative to us. And it is, it's gargantuan. It has so much weight. And despite even my criticisms, of the back half, and of them there are few, it still felt heavy. It still felt like a lot. And maybe it feels heavier because we've been through a lot. We've been irrevocably altered, kind of like a nuclear bomb. 
maybe I'm speaking out of school by speaking for you, but do you feel that? Do you think that plays into how you perceive these seasons? That in some ways we've been irrevocably altered? 100% yes. And it plays into your watch, right? Absolutely. Even going back to the start of the pandemic and we had just seen season four and everybody tore apart the whole like take what you need and leave what you don't or you know leave the rest or whatever <laughs> seeing that play out with toilet paper and this was back when the the pandemic was optimistic you know and everybody was like well, yeah we're gonna help each other and we're gonna do good things and we're gonna leave things for the ups driver and people was said of the show in that moment they're like oh this is stupid i'd never give away my stuff and then we actually did just that and then things started to get worse. For me personally, like I, I and I, I, I think I've said this to you before, my mom was dying in the middle of the pandemic. And I was in the hospital the day we talked to her oncologist who said, you know, like she's got stage four cancer and she's not going to make it. I talked to Austin Emilio in an interview. I had no idea what to do, but I had to do this interview. And I was like, I guess I'm going to do it. And I remember telling him like, no, this is good for me. Like I need to focus on something else. But that was at the beginning. Now I look back and I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think you all know that I, I do a little bit of uh, stuff with romance. That's why. <laughs> like, That's why I've kind of like I've had to, to bring in something else because my brain is so fucking fried from the pandemic and all of the stuff going on that I do. Like I started to struggle watching The Walking Dead. It's not just fear. It's everything. It's it's the whole universe. I'm like, oh, okay. So that person's going to die. Like, I'm going to go read this book now. Like, I got I got a palate cleanse. Like, it's just, it's been so, it's been a lot. So I, I totally understand and I sympathize because, Rachel, I think you were the one who said it earlier. You want escapism. And for so many of us, before all of this happened, this was the perfect way to escape because it seemed so absurd and so outside the realm of possibility that it was like, yeah, of course we want to watch this. And we were all, I mean, the funny thing is, is I remember watching this show in the hospital with my mom because we were all fans of it. And then a few months later, we're both like, okay, well, it's on. Should we watch it? Like I had to watch it, but like we were all like, we can't, I don't know if we can actually do this. Like we're just, we were just so mentally exhausted. It really does kind of show where we are. If you thought season seven was long, I have to have to point to the past two years and say, I don't know. Season seven seemed to fly by compared to what this has been like. I think this is really interesting for you to to share like those personal moments, which thank you for that. Because when Dave and I attended that panel hosted by Felicia Ray at Pandemic, we heard very much the opposite of people who had been through really traumatic life events. They seem to find relief in the show. And maybe it's because the trauma is so much greater than that for them, that this level of this is the zombie apocalypse and this probably is never going to happen. I mean, the people in that panel were like, oh, yeah, I think about what would I do if it did happen? Because I'm almost like, I wish it would. So it's so weird to see that like other side that like trauma can change that so much. And it ends up being like, I want this to happen because it, I want this to be my reality because it's better than the reality I'm currently living. Because I'm not saying what you went through isn't trauma because it is in its own way. But it's just like, it's obviously too very different ways to look at it. Oh, I think that 100%. And and if you'll indulge me for a minute, I, the funny, I'll tell you a funny story that kind of sums this up. And so my mom got sick in June 2019. So very, very far ahead of the pandemic. She was in the hospital. She had shortness of breath and yeah, shortness of breath and a fever, mind you, at the end of February in 2020. I had just gotten back from 
Texas. I had just gone on a set visit to Lawton, got to walk the streets of Lawton and do a Fear the Walking Dead set visit. And I remember going on the plane. I sterilized my seat. Like nobody was doing these things. I was doing them because my mom was sick. I had to do, like I had to take, you know, extra precautions. So she was in the hospital at the end of February and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And I said, do you think she has that, that disease everybody's talking about that's, you know, over in Asia? And the doctor said, oh no, no, that's, that's not going to be anything. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to go anywhere. And they were in the hallway mocking me because I had a bottle of hand sanitizer in my purse. And I was putting it on after I, like I had done something and I put it on and they were like, you see that people like that, they freak out over nothing. This isn't going to be anything. And I said, mom, I think we need to start stocking up on stuff. And that was, right. that was my walking dead mentality because I saw it coming before it even happened before the lockdown started, we were stocking up on shit. And that's because I was a fan of the show. <laughs> like I credit the show with making me see like, Hey, the people in charge, they're not taking this seriously, but we're, it's, it's going to be us. It's going to, we're going to be on our own. And, you know, with my mom going through what she was going through, I was like, I can't take the chances of, you know, not having stuff that she needs. To your point, Bridget, I thought that was like, it was so fascinating because in that time, it was absolutely what I needed. And I was, I was ready. And I, I even told the cast, I was like, you guys, I have so much toilet paper right now. <laughs> you would not believe how much toilet paper I have because I saw this coming. Like I thought I, I literally could have been some person holed up in a bunker on the show. Like I was like that person. The king of TP. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was the one great thing to come out of the pandemic is the resurgence of Walking Dead memes. It's like the one, yeah. the one shining light. Just to kind of bookend your experience, Sarah Beth, is that I followed your journey throughout and kind of to as a to dovetail back onto the show or this episode particularly you never gave up you never oh my god i'm getting fucking emotional you 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 never really gave up and i i have no i literally have no words to say how amazed i am at your resilience and your resolve to try to get the best care for your mom and i see that in you and i see that in your work too in in your ethic so this makes me proud to know you. Thank you for always sharing the the, the journey that you went on. I, I know it was rough, but it wasn't for nothing. It, it yeah, was a good document of, of what you were trying to do and, and, and did highlight some of the, the, the gaps in the healthcare system. And those guys, I mean, look, they, they have a job and they did what they did. And maybe they didn't appreciate what, how good they had it at the time. But I'm sure they had it rough after that, too. If karma was anything, I, I don't like saying that. But, you know, they, they understood, I'm sure, after the pandemic struck, how rough things could get. You know, I will say that means so much to me for, for you saying that. The whole goal for me was never to get pity or, you know, that I just wanted to share the journey because I knew I wasn't the only one going through it. Yeah. And it turns out, and, and I think that this group will appreciate this because that's how the, the Walking Dead family is. Shortly after my mom died, one of my followers reached out and she's in Australia and said that her dad had just been diagnosed with the same kind of lung cancer my mom had. And she needed advice because she was getting some pushback from the doctors. Her dad was actually on the same medications that my mom had had a reaction to. The one that put her, she was on a ventilator for a brief period because she had a bad reaction. And I said, well, you should try, this is what we did for my mom. So she approached the doctors and, and said that, and it worked. The doctors never would have even considered this. And I said, this is what wow. we did. 
so again, the power of this fandom, like that's, that's why I love this fandom. I love the show. I love the actors, but I, I love the people because, you know, it was just one of those things that just by putting my journey out there, somebody else was able to help give her father a couple more months. And, you know, he passed away ultimately, but he would have passed away a lot sooner. So we're all on this crazy journey together. But at the end of the day, it's just a TV show and it's the other stuff that matters more. To even bring it back to the show, but like also kind of who we are at large. And I'm glad I kind of brought up the fatigue of the pandemic and stuff like that so we can get into this. But when I saw Alicia decide to do what she did, it really struck a chord with me. Something that you said, Rachel, love is an act. It's not a two way street. It's about you. It's about how you really believe about somebody, something or someone. And it's about being true to yourself. And when you try to deny that, it doesn't feel good. You feel like you're less of yourself. Like you're not being honest with yourself. And for that duration, you feel a little broken when you feel like you are stopping yourself from loving someone or or stopping yourself from being true to your feelings about someone. And so, I mean, when I think about this family and what we've been through as a podcast in the last two years alone, how we've kind of needed each other between the live watches and all the stupid, dumb content we tried to push out in the beginning was maddening. Morning squaffy, uh, Try anything to try to get people right. You remember that. But we were trying to keep everybody together way in the beginning, too. And throughout, like going through those fall seasons where we had to cover two episodes back to back. But there's something about having done that and keeping people entertained. Now I'm thinking about our beloved cast members, how much they must love both what they are doing, how hard it must be, but then how much they must love us for keeping us entertained. I thought that from the jump, first of all, releasing those first nine episodes, was it in season six? Seven. And then and then saying, oh, we just don't have the juice for that eighth one. And I felt that. And then, of course, I kind of wish they didn't have that eighth episode (laughs) because it's John's death episode. The door 608. But then having gotten that, you felt like it's an expression. And so I want to kind of bring it back to the fatigue. And I, I know that you guys don't like when shows are complicated or are visually expressive when it should be actually expressive or like like can you be real for me for one second can you show me something real but i keep thinking about our time through season six and through season seven and how maybe they didn't intend it originally maybe maybe they steered it in a direction to where it could meet us where we were at because there were times when we were watching season six and season seven where i was just like first of all I kept noting in my notes, like, okay, oh, somebody's putting a mask on. Somebody's taking a mask off. Somebody's like, they were playing with COVID themes and I'm like, oh, no, no, I know it's not that, but let's make fun of that for a little while. But then being distant from one another, like Lawton in, in all its franchise, you know, all Ginny's franchises, how we had to be separated from one another, how it didn't feel good to be locked in, how a nuclear bomb went off and it feels like we, we were still kind of sheltering in place and, and how exhausted we are from all of that. And so, in a sense, this episode kind of says, we, we know what you've been through. The fever is lifting. Let's get back to it. Like, and, I, and I know it means goodbye to one character, but with every goodbye, there's room and opportunity to do something different and to do something more, let's say. And I think we've always said this about characters that that leave. Sharon, you said it about uh, a Dory leaving. One or the other, senior or junior. Let's see what June looks like without a Dory. What she can be. Actually, I think I said that about both. <laughs> no, but the first one was a remedy, a salve. This is our conversation. 
it was a salve to, to know I'll take a June Dory who can actually who can be more self-actualized and more take charge. And then afterwards, it was more of a frustration with senior. But 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 she is on her own now. Now you are getting what even though you didn't feel good, you're getting what you wanted. And I want to see what that looks like. And so with that, everybody, if you like what you heard, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawking dead. Five stars in an eggplant is all we need to know that you love us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. But tell us after every episode. And if you really like what we're doing here, really plucked at your heartstrings every now and again, and you felt something and you really want to feel more of it. Okay, that sounded really weird. Head over to ko-fi.com slash squawking dead and just follow us. You don't have to buy us a coffee. You don't have to join a membership tier. When you follow us, you know when we record. You know when the unedited episodes drop. You know when some little tidbits, little hints of things that might be coming down the pike like I did with this episode show up in your notifications, aka your email or your Google Chrome browser notifications. If you do decide to tip us, you'll get 30 days of supporter back content, which includes the unedited episode recordings, wallpapers, ringtones, all that stuff. But if you join a membership tier for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get Discord access, a little behind the scenes chit chat, as well as a whole host of other things and a couple of other tiers. You can get so much more, including the Survivor's tier, which allows you to join us in our episode breakdowns. And so with that, everybody, thank you. First of all, Sarah Beth Pollock for joining us on this lovely episode and sharing your thoughts. Thank you for having me. And I was joined by Cosmo Amzir and I, Rachel Burt. Sharon Diego, Blazy Gardner, and Survivor Seer member Bridget, ex Prophecy Girl on Twitter, and Ate My First Rodeo on Instagram. Thanks so much for joining us on this lovely ride. We really went through something, and we'll see you for the season finale. Hey, check out our Better Call Saul content while you're at it. And we're going to cover the finale soon. So see y'all later. Have a great night. We love you. We really do. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode and making it to the end where I get to talk to you. Uh, this ep- this season is shaping up very nicely. I happen to like this episode and I hope you did too. And our breakdowns at the very least or the value you get from our insights. And uh, as always, if you like what you heard, always head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawkingdead and leave us five stars in the eggplant or just tell us what you liked and didn't like or something at all we just use it as a form of communication between you and us and uh what's the worst that can happen we can post your review and rating on our social medias and it could be bad and we'll just post it and just leave your socials so we know to tag you in the right spots but this episode was would not be made possible without our tier members the first of whom get first dibs, which are the survivors to your members who joined us for this episode breakdown. And those are at so Jasmine at jasmine.iac on Instagram, Bridget, Ain't My First Rodeo on Instagram, and X Prophecy Girl on Twitter. We've got uh, fanartlindy, that's ko-fi.com slash fanartlindy. We got uh, at real Ryan GM on Twitter, and of course at Eliza Jones seventy one on Instagram and uh, Jones AJ six on Twitter. And we can't end this episode without mentioning our survivors tier members, who are at Judith on Instagram, at Aiden the Raven on Twitter, and at Aiden underscore Atkin underscore on Instagram. Uh, 
at Tyler Phillip at Tyler Phillip Cox on both Instagram and Twitter at frosted angel 67 on Twitter at sandy.d.morrison on Facebook and of course at j13 Voorhees on Instagram and Twitter uh, this episode took a lot of doing to get to you and <laughs> should have been out sooner but too many technical difficulties hoping we don't have as many issues for the next one uh, we just finished recording it and if you want to join us on this journey if you want to be a tier member of course you don't have to be if you want to tip us you don't have to the only thing we ask is that you create a free account at ko-fi.com and follow us at ko-fi.com slash squawking dead if you want to be in the know when we record so you can join us and lend your voice to these episodes in the real-time chat uh, you don't have to buy us coffee and don't have to join a membership tier for as little as a dollar. You just have to follow. Uh, it sends us a message, lets us know we're on the right track. And if you decide to actually buy a coffee for 30 days of supported back content, you need to get the unedited episode recordings and a whole lot more, or just join a membership tier for as little as a dollar and you can get all these benefits in perpetuity, uh, or join one of the higher tiers and you can get that much more including 50% off the merch store from the higher tiers, the ability to join us on camera and mic for our Jackbox games sessions, if we ever find time again to do those. <laughs> uh, and well, and a whole lot more. You guys get uh, better Discord access. Uh, the Walkers tier does get Discord access, but you get a little bit more free reign. You get access to different sections in our Discord that the Walkers tier does not get access to. That being said, I've been your host, David Cameo, and uh, we'll see you in the next breakdown, which should already be up on ko-fi.com slash dead for your streaming pleasure and or downloading should you decide to get the files offline on any of your devices. We do provide the actual video and audio files of the unedited, unedited episode recordings for episode 195. Take care. See you in the next one, and it's going to be a doozy. And uh, who knows what, what what's coming next? I'm going to guess Tales of the Walking Dead. And also, hey, you podcast listeners, we're going to be releasing all of our Better Call Skull, <laughs> Better Call Saul content, otherwise known as our show called Better Squawk Saul. Uh, we're going to be releasing the f uh, five, yeah, it's going to be five episodes all at once of Better Better Squawk Saul, uh, including for the first uh, four episodes we have episode reactions and the full breakdowns so stay tuned for that audio listeners it's a special treat just for you guys and uh which will probably include a blog too so take care we'll see you in the next one which hopefully is very soon mm -hmm.